a do-or-die sacrifice bunt to help lead to a Cardinal walk-off win? Did I just get transported back to Whitey Ball? Coming up on B-Shape Daily. What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. Evening hours of Tuesday, August 29th, 2023. How about that? Your St. Louis Cardinals back in the win column at long last, and the way they did it on Tuesday night in extra innings with a walk-off against Josh Hader. And that's not all. It's like a, but wait, there's more moment for the St. Louis Cardinals because those old-school Cardinal fans... The Whitey Ball fans, the fans that say, Cardinals, can you find any other way to score runs besides the long ball? Those which have come few and far between for the Cardinals of late. Those fans are rejoicing on Tuesday night because of what Richie Palacios did with a do-or-die sacrifice bunt to put the Cardinals in prime position to walk things off against the Padres' closer in the bottom of the 10th inning. Cardinals win 6-5 over San Diego on Tuesday Coming up tonight on B-Shape Daily, we will talk about the events of those extra innings and how the Cardinals got there in the first place with some really quality relief pitching from JoJo Romero, who with the changeup looks absolutely filthy right now for the Cardinals. One of the few bright spots that we have seen down the stretch for this team as the Cardinals are looking for ways to build that roster up for 2024. They're trying to essentially audition different guys for different various roles. And I feel pretty good about this because I, I think I could go back a number of weeks, maybe even a month, a month and a half or so ago, talking about, well, I don't really know what the Cardinal bullpen is going to look like next year, but JoJo Romero is going to be in it. Yeah, I've had that take for a little while this summer, and it's looking pretty prescient at this point. Romero with a clean ninth and a clean tenth inning tonight for the Cardinals. Two innings of scoreless baseball. He finishes with three Ks on the game. Has that ERA down at 3.34, and the guy who... Couldn't get a decision to his MLB ledger there for a long while. Is now 4-1 and one on the season. Another win for JoJo Romero. So we'll talk a little bit about JoJo tonight. We'll talk about the Richie Palacios bunt and Tommy Edmond against a left-handed pitcher. Is there anything more automatic than that? Even if that lefty is Josh Hader, apparently it still applies. So Ollie Marmel with a little bit of a checkmate situation, playing the chess match there in the 10th, and Ollie comes out on top, pulling the right strings to get the Cardinals that W. We'll talk about the start by Zach Thompson. Could have been more efficient for sure. But a big game for Cardinal catcher Wilson Contreras with a couple of home runs in this game to help pace the Cardinal offense. So we'll break down to 6-5 to five win. That'll be in this first video here on YouTube. If you're listening on YouTube, you'll have to click later on in the channel. We're going to post the video of the second half of the podcast on Wednesday morning as we get into a little bit of speculation after what the Los Angeles Angels did earlier today, Tuesday, Basically waving a handful of players they are going to release these guys after putting them on waivers if they don't stick with other teams. A pure salary dump by Artie Moreno, who is down bad as the Los Angeles Angels owner in the wake of, well, the, the recent slump by the team, the injuries to Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. Yeah, they're basically packing it in for the year, which puts a number of guys on the free agent radar. Yankees doing the same with one prominent former Cardinal. We'll talk about one name in particular that I wonder would the Cardinals be interested in for a team that's looking for pitching for next year. Could this be maybe a way in with one Lucas Giolito? We'll talk about that on tonight's B-Shape Daily. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, great news. You don't have to do anything 
the entire episode will be in one chunk, but for YouTube, try to split them into separate videos so that people know what they're watching when they get into it. But this is going to be a recap of the game to begin, so let's talk about it. Cardinals win 6-5. to five. We finally see a little bit of life from the offense, although it takes uh, Wilson Contreras mashing a pair of home runs. It takes 10 innings in order to get that sixth run that gets the Cardinals the W on the night, but certainly an attitude of all's well that ends well. After four games in a stretch where the Cardinals had compiled just a total of four runs, they score six in this one, courtesy again of Wilson Contreras, who got things going in both the sixth and eighth innings with long balls, making a visit to Freeze's lawn there in the eighth to tie the game. It was 5-3, to three. Contreras making it 5-5. Five to five. The start of the game a little bit rocky tonight for Cardinals starter left-hander Zach Thompson, who only got through four innings in this one, throwing 91 pitches. The efficiency wasn't a hallmark of his game. Uh, we have seen largely Zach Thompson be better in this area at the big league level this year when it comes to walks. It's something that really had plagued him in the minors. We uh, spent some time on B-Shape Daily recently talking about the ABS system that is implemented at AAA this year and how the top of the strike zone has been a real challenge for the guys, at least on the Cardinals, who have talked about pitching between AAA and back to the big leagues and kind of bouncing back and forth. It's a, a stark difference down there in AAA with the top of the zone basically just being non-existent. Anytime you're trying to dot the upper part of the strike zone, it's just been a ball above the zone down there, more of a of a vertical zone when you get to the big leagues and, and what the umpires tend to call there. So maybe that's been part of it for Zach Thompson, but largely, as I've mentioned, we've seen a lot of the Cardinals that have come up do a little bit better with the bases on balls at the big league level. was not the, ta- uh, the case tonight for Zach Thompson, who walked four, had three strikeouts in four innings of work, but managed to kind of mitigate some of the damage Five hits, three runs in total, two of them earned. So Zach Thompson now with a 3.92 ERA at the big league level so far this season. Error on Contreras with an errant throw, but not really the end of the world. Just, uh, you know, he's got to make, I think, more of an impression if he wants to really cement himself as a a guy under consideration for next year's roster. But this was really, pardon me, let me slow down. For next year's starting five, um, roster, I think he could certainly be a guy that could shift back to the bullpen Uh, He's got a lot of arm talent, and and I could see a world in which maybe it's Zach Thompson competing for a starting role in spring, but if that doesn't pan out, rather than send him down to Memphis to stretch him out, maybe they make the decision to say, hey, the lefties in the bullpen next year are perhaps going to be JoJo Romero and Zach Thompson. Like That's a way they could go. Thompson began this season in that role. We'll kind of wait and see. Another guy, though, that could honestly have an impact on that and has looked pretty good since the Cardinals picked him up uh, kind of the unsung part of that trade of Jordan Montgomery and Chris Stratton to the Texas Rangers, knowing that Takoa Roby, the high-profile uh, pitching prospect, who had he was the guy with the shoulder issue but has recently returned and uh, had six Ks in three innings with his debut in Springfield. And then Thomas Sejaci, the infielder, who is just absolutely wrecking double-A pitching for the Springfield Cardinals. Both those guys come over in the uh, the deal with, with the Rangers. John King, the left-handed reliever, was the one guy that immediately vaulted to the big league roster after that deal was made, and he's actually quietly done a pretty nice job since joining the Cardinals this season. ERA with Texas was 5.79. With the Cardinals, though, it's 1.04. He's got nine appearances now, eight and two-thirds innings, allowing seven hits and just one run on a solo home run, and only one walk in that frame as well. Four strikeouts in eight and two-thirds innings, not exactly a, a prominent strikeout rate for a guy, but at the same time, I feel like John King could be in the mix for that maybe second or third lefty spot in the rotation, uh, the bullpen next year. If you can't tell, I'm still a little bit sleep deprived, but I'm going to try to <laughs> try to grind my way through this. But if you cannot tell, 
yeah, infants, they don't sleep, apparently. I, I know I've mentioned that on the show previously, but it still remains true for you parents or, or would-be parents out there. Just keep that in mind. Anyhow, John King doing a nice job is what I wanted to say. Zach Thompson doing a fine enough job, but I think you, you don't necessarily pencil him into a rotation spot. We've talked about the Cardinals needing three outside starters. I think that's true regardless of how Thompson finishes up in 2023, but you can definitely keep him in that competition for next year's kind of number six spot. If you consider three outside sources, Michaelis plus Matts, those are your five. One of them gets hurt. The Cardinals are going to need more than just the five. So that's where Zach Thompson, maybe Dakota Hudson, if he's still with the organization, maybe Drew Rahm, uh, Matthew Lipitor certainly would be in that conversation to grind it out to see if one of those guys can be almost the, the ace of Memphis and then therefore get vaulted to St. Louis when I'm not even going to say if, but when the Cardinals are in need of a second starter uh, or a sixth starter, I should say, because that's just the way it goes in baseball. Starting pitchers get hurt. So the Cardinals need depth for next year. We'll see if Zach Thompson is a part of that, but definitely need to be more efficient than he was tonight on 91 pitches to get through four. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. One other pitcher I want to make mention of that appeared in the game tonight for the Cardinals is Casey Lawrence, the veteran who has sort of been in the mop-up duty, just logging a bunch of innings any given time that he's available. And the Cardinals starter that day wasn't able to go very deep. It's been Casey Lawrence territory largely for the Cardinals. And I've gotten a lot of comments and questions about, like, why are the Cardinals devoting so much real estate within these games to Casey Lawrence, who presumably will not be part of next year's team, right? Like, he's a a veteran in his early to mid-30s, is kind of a journeyman guy, has a 4.97 ERA after today's appearance, gave up a run in the sixth, a run in the eighth, goes three and two-thirds, just chewing up innings. That's kind of the name of the game for a guy like Casey Lawrence. And the question would be, could the Cardinals be using that platform to showcase potentially some younger arms that they could learn about more for next year's team. And it sounds great in theory, but I really do want to stress that at this point in the season, the Cardinals are at a place where they just got to get through it and they just got to try to finish out these games and you need to throw nine innings. And Casey Lawrence, for better or worse or indifferent, has been able to throw three to four to five innings in in a relief role and just be the guy to, to take the ball and go till your arm falls off. Like, that's kind of where the Cardinals are. And then this game kind of turns in their favor where they're able to say, all right, as we get into these late innings, it's still a close game. And so they bring in John King for the final out of that eighth inning, which then leads to the uh, the home run in the bottom of the eighth where the Cardinals have suddenly tied the game. That makes it JoJo Romero territory, and the rest is history. Just kind of interesting to see the the run that Casey Lawrence is getting right now it may not be glamorous, it may not be sexy, but I do want to caution Cardinals fans who are going, why are they spending so much time on this guy? Uh, it's a valuable role to the team. It's similar to what Andrew Suarez is doing. Uh, we saw Jacob Barnes take the ball for a, for an extended period. Like, that's kind of where they're at right now. This was the plan. You know, they, they had signed these guys to minor league contracts leading up to the trade deadline, knowing, hey, there's going to come a moment in this season where we are going to have to restock the roster. And in theory, it would be great if you could devote a lot of that energy to young guys and emerging talents. But sometimes you just need your vegetables. 
And I feel like these guys in the bullpen, the mechanics of getting through a major league season when you're a team that's as as downtrodden as the Cardinals are in 2023, sometimes you just need those vegetable relievers that can, like, they're playing for something. You don't think those guys are trying to do the best they can to extend their big league careers, get a look on a, on a roster for next year, maybe right here in St. Louis if they perform adequately enough. Like, a lot of those things are considerations. So it, it works out for everybody involved. And you look at the kind of quote-unquote young guys, like that's always the trope, is, oh, why don't the Cardinals let the kids play? We look on the pitching side, there aren't any. <laughs> like, the, the the guys that you would be clamoring for, like Guillermo Zuniga, okay, you go for that and then he's hurt and it's just been kind of up and down for him. The consistency hasn't been there. Cardinals need guys that they can flat rely upon. Even if it doesn't mean rely upon to throw up a bunch of zeros, if you, if you give up four or five runs but you also throw four or five innings, you're kind of the guy. But as we've seen, like when Wainwright was really struggling, you, you you can't just expect a guy that's going to be able to go four innings if he can only go one, if he can only record three outs. There is a skill to just being able to to wear it sometimes, and the Cardinals have some guys in their bullpen that if it's going wrong on a given day, they're going to be able to wear it. But to Casey Lawrence's credit, he pitched well enough over three and two-thirds innings today to keep the Cardinals within striking distance. And then to the credit of Wilson Contreras, he struck. So the Cardinals were able to find a win. Like, this is the gritty type of win that I feel like fans probably find refreshing right now because it's been very rare. It's been few and far between with the way Cardinal games have played out recently. Does it mean anything? No. In the long run, it doesn't really mean anything for the standings or or for much of anything at all other than learning about these individual players. Um, But I, I do think there is value to just a group of guys getting back into the rhythm of what it feels like to win baseball games because they're not going to get to play in October this year. So they have to make these games count as much as they possibly can. It's not life or death because if they lose a bunch of games, they you know they get a little bit of a better chance in the draft lottery. But right now they're top five pick if uh, the, the lottery doesn't screw them. So that's exciting to see what Randy Flores could do with that. But this is still a group of players that, hey, if you want to see a quick turnaround in 2024, there's going to have to be a significant overhaul on the roster. Yeah, but there's also going to be a lot of guys that do return. And those guys getting into the habit of playing winning baseball certainly cannot hurt. One guy that's really helped them do that, well, I guess Wilson Contreras applies because the, the couple of home runs that he hit today were huge. And uh, every time we kind of bring up Contreras right now, it feels like it's in passing with regard to the conversation that will take place in the offseason about whether or not this guy is the everyday catcher next year or is he more of a reserve catcher who DHs a lot? Do they even consider having him play some outfield? I think with how many crowded outfielders you have on this roster already, you can't consider that. You'd have to move guys off the roster before even thinking that way. But there is going to eventually be, I think, a reckoning where the Cardinals have to go, what do we want to do? And if they and if they kind of can just accept Contreras for what he is as a catcher, which is, you know, he's got his flaws and he's, he's going to be overly eager at times. He'll make some throwing errors out of aggression. He'll do some things that kind of tick you off. But he's also a passionate player who who wants to be great. Like, it's not for a lack of desire or effort from Wilson Contreras that, you know, some of these intangible and little things don't kind of go his direction from behind the plate. He wants it. The Cardinals just kind of have to decide, I think, how patient they want to be with a veteran player who defensively kind of feels like you can always grow and get better, right? But he kind of is what he is at this point based on the fact that he's been in the league for a long time and and there's sort of a book on what you can expect from Wilson. But you know what else you can expect from Wilson Contreras is offense. Got the OPS up to 784 for the season. It wouldn't shock me to see him get on a little bit of a roll and finish at an 800 OPS this year, which would be, you know, right about in line with what he has been for his career. So 
Good to see Wilson Contreras, I believe, up to 15 home runs now. Uh, Cardinals don't win this game tonight without him, so that that definitely bears mentioning. They also don't win this game tonight without JoJo Romero, who is locked into this bullpen for next year, if anybody is. Like, when it comes to guys like Giovanni Gallegos, I don't know if he's going to be on the team next year if the Cardinals look at it and say, he may just be a non-tender candidate. Maybe he's a guy that we can try and trade because other teams are going to be compelled to pay him as a back-end reliever. Uh, his his salary is going to start to climb up a little bit. Largely, he's been reliable for the Cardinals this year, but you're seeing again kind of creep into his game recently, some of those struggles. And when the guy gives up one home run, you can darn well expect he's going to give up a second one. That has been the story of his season. I believe now it's been five different games in the season. I want to go back and make sure I check this and get this right. It looks like five different games in which he's given up a homer. In four of the five, he's given up a second homer. And that occurred uh, earlier over the weekend against the Philadelphia Phillies in that 12-1 beatdown uh, where he recorded just one out, gave up four earned runs, walked a guy, gave up two bombs, the whole bit. I don't know exactly what Gio's role is going to be next year if he has one. Um, I like Chief Gallegos. I'm just trying to think from a business standpoint how the Cardinals are going to handle it. Ryan Helsley, a lot of rumors flying around about, you know, whether he's dissatisfied. and He kind of shot those down on Twitter. Um, but could he be a trade candidate in the offseason if the Cardinals decide uh, you know, to, to kind of test the waters on that. And another team says, yeah, we'll take 101 out of our bullpen, 103 out of our bullpen. That sounds good to us. Maybe that's something that would take place. Ryan Helsley, performance-wise, I think certainly you'd put him right back into the, the, the Cardinal bullpen and, and in the eighth or ninth inning toward the back end of the game. But also you do have to consider uh, what's the reliability of his, like his ability to be on the field, to be available. That's something that I think the Cardinals do think about. I tend to think that's not really a fair way to characterize Ryan Helsley because... Gosh, how many pitchers get hurt? A lot of them do. And how many of them throw 103? Not many of them do. So, and, and there's often a kind of a crossover there with guys that have that elite stuff, but they also have to be careful to figure out the way they manage their arm. Helsley purportedly kind of moving back toward a return to the Cardinals. We'll see. Had had the re- rehab shut down for a time there. I think he's trying to ramp it back up, so we'll see what that looks like. But is Helsley a guarantee to be on the team next year? I don't know. I think... The, I would have him there, but if they find a, a suitable trade offer, then maybe they take it. Jojo Romero is going to be on this team next year. I feel 100% confident in that. He's just been exactly what the Cardinals have needed down this stretch, and he's proven himself. Like That's a great example of a guy who is taking the opportunity given to him. When Jordan Hicks goes and Ryan Helsley's hurt, it's kind of one of those deals where, well, Gallegos hasn't ever really fared too well in the ninth. We prefer him in the eighth or the seventh. And Jojo, it's going to be you. Let's see what you got. And he's Got it. Like, he looks like a closer on the mound. You know how some guys have the different mannerisms, and they were talking on the broadcast tonight about him looking like Al Roboski just needs the Fu Manchu, and he's kind of already got the mustache going. I Honestly, Jojo Romero, man, I think he's got the chops to be a late-inning lefty for the Cardinals next year. I'm not saying he's going to be your closer necessarily because you might have some other competition for that role, but he's certainly taken it and run with it, and that is absolutely, like, not an ego thing, but it's a mentality thing, and Jojo has it. And he's kind of a guy that, when it doesn't go his way, I feel like he just lets it, like water off a duck's back. It just doesn't really affect him. Jojo Romero has the mentality to be a late inning dude for the Cardinals. I'm ready to call it. They won the the Edmundo Sosa trade. Like there's no doubt. Getting Jojo Romero back for Edmundo Sosa at the time, I said great. I don't know about this Jojo Romero. I've I've heard of him, but I don't really think he's necessarily a guy that I project for a a significant future for the Cardinals, but neither is Edmundo Sosa, and and it was time to just clear him out. Jojo is that guy, though. Like, I'm I'm committed to that. I am fully on board 
with the job that he's done. He's really, really impressed me. And I feel like a lot of Cardinals fans, he's impressed as well with the job that he's done. So that's the guy that I just wanted to, I mean, to to have that trait where in the Manfred Mann era, when you go into extra innings and there's a guy on second, you got to figure out a way to not let him move. JoJo's got that. And I've asked him about it before. Like, do you relish that opportunity? He's like, yeah, I mean, I like to pitch under the pressure. He doesn't really think about it that much. So like, okay, there's a guy on second base. Let's just go out there and, and do my thing. And tonight, had the strikeout work and the changeup is just gross. Even like the the fastball, 96, 97, like he can pump it up even beyond that. Getting location to be perfect. I mean, he's been really, really good just with, with what he's been able to do and kind of mixing and matching against certain hitters. Really impressive tonight. Uh, again, the Cardinals do not win without the contributions from Jojo Romero. But let's talk about that bottom of the 10th inning, huh? If you're an old school Cardinals fan, if you're a whitey ball kind of Cardinal fan, you really liked what you saw from Richie Palacios, who, look, it, it's one of those deals where with the Manford man, there are ways to manage it and strategize it. And sometimes the best manager can find a way to win a game by kind of deploying the pieces the way that he needs to in those innings. The way that I look at it is in the top of the 10th inning, if you're on the road, you're not doing the sacrifice bunt to try to scratch across one run because your assumption has to be with the other team also starting off with a man in scoring position in the bottom half of the 10th inning, they have just as good of an opportunity to get that guy across home plate, and then we can just keep doing this forever. Everybody scores one run per inning if you if you play small ball as the road team. As the road team, I don't think you punt. I think you have to swing for the fences. You have to try for a multi-run inning. You need that crooked number because it just puts a lot of the pressure on the home team to not only score that first guy from second base that they get for free, but to have the line moving and, and commit to actually a rally that would need to take place. If you're the home team, though, absolutely you bunt. Like, largely, I think the Cardinal fans talk about the bunt all the time, like it's this obsession. I think you guys need to, to take a chill pill sometimes. <laughs> like, it's a little bit much. I get it. You want to see some some situational hitting and some situational baseball, and you're largely correct. And it would be nice if the Cardinals didn't just need a solo home run every now and again, and that was all they did for a week. I totally agree with you guys. Sometimes, though, it's not the time to bunt, and a lot of times people are going, yeah, you should just always bunt. Well, okay. In this case, though, I loved it. Very strange to see it with two strikes, and like not really, it just kind of came out of nowhere for me to think, oh, he's really going to do this with two strikes. Laid it down perfectly. I like Richie Palacios' game, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself and put the cart before the horse because we've seen players like him, like an Oscar Mercado who kind of had that little skill set that he could get on base in theory. He could play a good defense for you in theory. He could do some of the little things right in theory. Palacios, though, so far as like doing them. You know, Mercado was kind of a flash in the pan where we we liked the energy, but then it just kind of faded, and then you, you started to see some some issues creep in where defensively, you know, he had the, the Canseco thing happen, the the ball at the, the wall where he knocks it over the fence for a home run and love Oscar Mercado, but like he, he, his star kind of faded out right after a few weeks. Palacios, the, th- the same thing could happen. It's possible, but I think I trust his on-base skills and I trust just, I don't know, there's something about him. I think he's a great fifth outfielder in 2024. I don't think he should be in your starting lineup on day one, uh, barring a bunch of injuries. I don't even really think it's fair to say he's your fourth outfielder in an ideal world because I'm looking at this roster right now going, New bars in your lineup, Walker's in your lineup. They got to figure out what they're going to do with O'Neill and Carlson. Both could be traded. I'm telling you right now, both could be gone from next year's team, and they could go out and maybe sign somebody to be an everyday left fielder and hit with a little bit more power or be an everyday center fielder and do the same thing. Maybe they support Tommy Edmond to be the everyday center fielder. I'll talk about in the offseason why I don't think that's a great idea. I think there's a better role for him, and I've even mentioned it already on B-Shape Daily within the last couple of days. 
But my point is, there's a lot of moving parts that could happen with this outfield, and I haven't even said Alec Burleson's name yet. Uh, and, and the Cardinals, I, th- I think they're committed to him, but we'll kind of see if the, the performance doesn't turn. Like, he's a guy that it would be very valuable to see him play every day the rest of the season just to kind of get a feel for what you can grow to expect. Just get him more experience so that you're not a year or two down the road going, well, he's a young guy, we just haven't seen enough of him, and he's 26, and it's not really it's not really the same. Go ahead and play him because right now he's one of the guys that I think you do need to learn about. It's tough to make a determination about a guy over a half a season of work, but maybe that's where the Cardinals end up deciding kind of how they want to structure their outfield next year. But Palacios, I think, is a guy that could fit into that mix on the end of your bench and be a spark plug kind of player. He could fit nicely into that niche. But how about the bunt tonight? You have the runner on second base to start the inning. You lay down the perfect bunt. And the Mason Wynn being the base runner made you feel really good, too, about going into that situation, just knowing the speed that you had on the bases if you needed to employ it in any way. They get Mason Wynn to third. They, uh, the, the, the Padres decide to walk Paul Goldsmith at that point. And some Cardinals fans say, that's great. Goldsmith hasn't been the most clutch hitter of late, which I would say, whatever. I'd still say you want Goldsmith to be batting there in that spot. But it is a lefty, so there's no way they were going to let it happen. And so it's like, hey, we can get to a lefty-lefty situation where you're facing Nolan Gorman, a chance for a double play to end the inning. Heck, yeah. That's what the Potters were thinking. Ollie Marmel had different ideas, though. He goes for the bold move, pulling Tommy Edmond off the bench, taking the bat out of Gorman's hand, and it works. Tommy Edmond with the walk-off base hit would have been a Tommy two bags all day long because it was in the left field gap. However, they only needed the single, and, and so it goes as a walk-off hit. But how about that? Tommy Edmond coming through against Josh Hader, of all people. Really impressive to see that. Tommy Edmond gets lefties every day, man. You play him every day in that situation. He's your leadoff man every day. I have no issue with it. He's amazing. Tommy Edmond might need to consider abandoning switch hitting, though, because like that's how good he's been from the right side of the plate. And overall, the numbers, like I wonder if that's a consideration. If the Cardinals look at Tommy Edmond and go, hey, 2024, Going into 2024, like this is a conversation for October or November after the season where you look at it and say, Tommy, we love what you did in center field this year. I know you came up mostly an infielder and you you are a very fine shortstop. We've got this kid Mason win that we're really hoping pans out there. So we're looking at going into 2024 with Mason as our guy to begin at shortstop. You can obviously spell him there because we know you have that skill set, but we want to let you take this center field job and run with it. If you would consider working all offseason to become a right-handed only hitter. Would that be something that you think you'd be interested in? And I don't know how realistic this type of conversation is because as fans, as media, as outsiders, we can sit there on our bar stool and have a beer in our hand and we can go, you know what would be cool? You know what the Cardinals should do? And like those are the kind of conversations we all love. But I think sometimes we mistake those kind of conversations for the the actual dialogue that happens for teams And I don't know if it's exactly the same. I don't know how realistic it is for the Cardinals to approach Tommy Edmond. It's not an ultimatum, but it's like, hey, we would really want to see you consider this. Like, is that how the Cardinals even feel? I'm not saying that it is. I'm just thinking out loud a little bit here and playing in a very big speculative playground of like, if if the Cardinals could see Tommy Edmond as an everyday center fielder defensively, the only thing that I would view as holding him back would be his performance against right-handed pitching. Because against lefties, there's no doubt about what Tommy Edmond does. There never really has been. He's been fantastic. He's got he's even got power from the right side when he faces left-handed pitchers. But it's one of those things that lefties aren't what you see most of the time. And so how often are you able to take advantage of that? 
Tommy this year with a 766 OPS against lefties, which is a little bit down, I think, from what it was last year. But still, the 467 slug is what really stands out. Uh, the, the dude has power. I believe now he's got six homers against lefties, six against righties on the season, despite more than double the plate appearances against right-handed pitching as compared to lefties. He's been fantastic uh, from the left side largely throughout his career. He's not a leadoff guy. His on-base percentage is not a skill that he has. Um, even against lefties, to be honest with you, I'm looking at it now. He's got a 299 on base against lefties. It's 295 against right. The major difference is a, a slight boost to his average, at least this year, and a substantial boost, nearly 100 points, to his slugging percentage against left-handed pitching. So is that something that the Cardinals look at and go, you know, what if we can manifest more of that from Tommy Edmond if he just always batted from the right side and we asked him if he would do it? And, you know, I don't know. That feels like a delicate conversation for a guy who sees himself as a switch hitter. But if you look at the numbers, I, I gave them for his season. But for his career, it's even more stark. An 815 OPS against lefties in 580 PAs, 720 PAs against right-handed pitching, PAs is being played appearances, and a 696 OPS. So it's a 120 points different for his career. Would it be something the Cardinals would look at? Because if he can do it defensively, which I believe he can, I know the arm's a little bit lackluster, but I, I don't mind. I'd rather have range in center field. The arm just doesn't come into play as often as range will and as, as athleticism will, and he can dive around and make catches like anybody can uh, with the best of them, I should say. And so I would just wonder if that would be something the Cardinals would look at and say, man, if we had if we had the Tommy Edmond version from the right side that we often see and he can OPS 750 overall by going 800 against lefties and, and even you know 725 or 730 against righties by batting right on right, that would be really interesting. We know we've seen Tommy Edmond dabble in the right on right not as much recently, I don't think, but it's against certain pitchers with certain breaking balls that he does it. But what if, you know, he decided, I, I'm going to do it full time. That would be maybe a change that could be made over an offseason. Again, highly speculative, probably won't happen, but something I wanted to talk about. Also, as I'm looking at the splits here on the platoon stuff for Tommy Ebbin for his career, 79 stolen bases against right-handed pitching, 15 caught stealing. If this is accurate on baseball reference, he's never been caught stealing against a left-handed pitcher. There's no way that's right. I don't know if that's right. Maybe it is. Yeah, that's not right. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with the baseball reference page here because it says versus right-handed starter, he's been caught 14 times. Versus left-handed starter, he's been caught once. I'm going to say that baseball reference doesn't necessarily track the stolen base situation by handedness. I don't know. I'm sorry I even included this, but sometimes you get my inner musings, and this was an example of that. Nevertheless, I was talking about the outfield situation in Richie Palacios is mostly what I was doing. And then kind of getting into Tommy Evan to say that, damn, he looks good against lefty-handed pitcher again, even the best lefty in the game who's got an ERA of like .79 this year uh, in Josh Hader. So good for Tommy Edman. If he could just be that league average offensive player against the right side and above league average against the left side pitchers, then he would be a center fielder that you would have total confidence in. But I worry about offensively if you have some holes in other spots. Like Mason Wynn's going to be your shortstop. He's hitting 170 as of right now. Is it going to be that for his career? No, but I also think it, to expect Mason Wynn to be more than a 9 or 8 hitter in 2024 is premature. There's going to be a learning curve there. So you're already kind of assuming, like if you can get Mason Wynn to league average, to a 100 OPS plus in 2024, you, you smash that button and take it. Because it's not easy to do for, for a young player that's just going to be you know kind of integrating himself at the big league level. I think he can do it, but I'm not saying it's a given. If you, could, if you could accept that and smash that button, I think you would. And then you look at your areas where you're robust offensively. First and third, 
yeah, those guys are going to be great. Arnado and Goldsmith, but they're not going to be as great as they were in 2022. They may be more like what they've been in 2023. And so that's a little bit of a, a lower ceiling for your offense in general. Gorman, Donovan, Newbar, like those guys you feel good about, but none of them, well, Gorman could be that guy, and I, I think Brent Donovan and Newbar could be as well, but you've got like a bunch of really, really goods, and there's no more MVP candidates necessarily unless we see Goldie or Arnato kind of lock that back in. I don't necessarily know that you have the MVP candidate. Gorman, I don't think, has been consistent enough to where I'm going to put him into that category yet. So you're just kind of looking at that lineup going, how many spots do you really want to say we're going to accept being below league average offensively or right at league average offensively? Outfield just doesn't feel like one where you can do that for me in the modern game. And and that's kind of what you'd be doing with Tommy Evans. So I almost, I, I guess I said I would talk about it in a future podcast. I ended up talking about it today a little bit more. It'll be a topic that we discuss a lot in the offseason because I'm a huge believer in Tommy Edmund. I just think it. how are you going to deploy him specifically to be effective is, is a question that I still have for 2024 and, and the way the roster shakes out. But if you had him as like the backup to win at shortstop where he plays short, you know, once every couple of weeks, whenever Wynn needs a break, or if Wynn's offense is scuffling, then, you know, he, he does it more often. And then he's a center fielder when he needs to be backing up as 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 needed. And Brendan Donovan slides into left field sometimes as needed. He plays second baseman when Gorman DHs. And it, like that's the way I could see it working next year. But there's still some some things that need to be ironed out with that. But that's kind of the way I look at this win for the Cardinals. Six to five. Nicely done in 10 innings. It's nice to be able to have that for Cardinals fans, I think, every once in a while. But let's go ahead and get into the Lucas Giolito conversation. Because this was really interesting from earlier Tuesday. It came down from Jeff Pass in Tuesday afternoon that the Angels were basically cutting loose a bunch of the guys that they had brought in, guys that they're trying to essentially win with, and then once they realize, oh, this isn't going to be our year to be able to win, it's after the trade deadline, so it's not like we can move them for any value, we're just going to go ahead and place these guys on waivers and say, eh, anybody want to pick them up, that's great, but we're not paying them the rest of the year, so you have fun. That's kind of the hope that they're having here because... If they if any of these guys get picked up on waivers, it just basically ends up being a salary dump. Lucas Giolito as a starting pitcher, Matt Moore as a reliever, Reynaldo Lopez as a reliever, outfielders Hunter Renfro and former Cardinal Randall Grichuk all on waivers today from the Los Angeles Angels. Pass and adding for the Angels, it'll be a pure salary dump because there are no longer any August trades. They will all uh, all they will get from any transactions is salary relief. Teams that claim the players will need only to pay their salaries for the rest of the season. Pass and adds who gets the players will be determined by the reverse order of record. The team with the worst record that puts him uh, puts in a claim on a player will receive him, and there are going to be plenty of claims put in on uh, from playoff caliber teams that need a starter, bullpen help, and bats. Like it's just basically a shopping spree for teams that want to want to add some potentially legitimate players at this. I I keep trying to say it's a deadline. It's not. It's just. The Angels going, hey, if you want these guys, come grab them. You just got to pay them the rest of the year, and they're yours. Insanity. To see a team just so blatantly go, yeah, we don't care if we win anymore. Like, it's not to say all these guys are studs, but Lucas Giolito's got definitely the potential to be. And this year has a 4.45 ERA. That's a serviceable guy. He's really struggled since going to the Angels, and so that's kind of part of this. But his track record is a 4.35 ERA over eight years in the big leagues. Tells you he's a pretty solid pitcher. Nearly 1,000 big league innings, and he's only 28 years old. But he is a free agent to be. And so they decide to cut ties with him shortly after trading for him with the White Sox ahead of the deadline. 
back when Otani was healthy and Trout was healthy and they thought maybe they could make a run. Yeah, that's not happening anymore. But also Ronaldo Lopez, like they they unload five players that are major league caliber players here. So here's the deal. Reverse order of standings is how the waivers work. Would the St. Louis Cardinals get involved on any of this? I don't really know what the benefit would be to get involved on Reynaldo Lopez, although he's a solid pitcher as a reliever. I, he's a free agent to be. Uh, I believe Matt Moore is also a free agent to be left-handed reliever. Has a two. I mean, this guy's got a 2.30 ERA in, 20, in 2023. So, like, if, if you're anybody, it's like, yeah, you could put a claim in on these guys and they can maybe help you the rest of the way. A team like the Cardinals has no reason to do that from a strategic standpoint because they're not playing for anything, especially with a guy that's only under contract through the end of the year. There's really no benefit to it other than if you wanted to get a guy acclimated and used to your team, used to your clubhouse, he could try it on for size. Maybe he likes it here in St. Louis and decides, oh, I'm going to give them consideration in the offseason when I'm approached by five or seven teams about a a contract. I'll know I'll have a, a taste in my mouth of what it's like to be a St. Louis Cardinal. Here's where I view this, and I saw from a lot of Cardinals fans. I even tweeted something about it to say basically like, you know, would it be interesting? I think I even put the shrug emoji in my tweet. Like, would the Cardinals potentially do something here? But uh, here's what I tweeted out, and let me know what you think about this, and I think there were some other perspectives that I saw that are very relevant. I said the Cardinals have no need for Giolito in 2023 because their games don't matter, but if you wanted to get a guy in the building on a trial basis, they will be high up in the waiver order. They're fifth. And that's where I put the shrug emoji. And then I said, though, if you wanted to sell a guy on winning culture, this may not be the year to do that for the St. Louis Cardinals because, of course, they're like 19 games below 500, and it ain't their year. Here's another part of this. Before you Cardinals fans say, hey, there's no reason. It's just to pay him a little bit of money, and you can get some starting pitching for the rest of the year, which helps. You know, Cardinals fans want to at least see some competitive baseball. You could get him in there, get a look at him, and then have an idea of whether or not you want to offer him a contract in the offseason. Totally valid. Here's what you might do, though, if as the Cardinals, who are the, the fifth worst team in baseball, you claim Lucas Giolito or, for that matter, any of these other angels that have been uh, basically thrown in the trash today by Los Angeles. What you'd be doing is depriving all of those guys, any of those guys, of playing playoff baseball. Because in theory, if none of the bottom dwellers take any of these guys a playoff team's going to. Like, there will be claims put in on Lucas Giolito. Even though he struggled, It all it costs you is money, and you can never have too much pitching depth if you're a playoff-caliber team. Injuries are going to happen, and there's no way to account for them late in the season unless you've got guys on the roster already who can step in. So Giolito is going to get claimed by a lot of teams that are playoff-caliber. The Cardinals aren't playoff-caliber, but they get first crack because they have the reversed order of standings benefit They're fifth from the bottom, which means they're fifth from the top when it comes to these waivers. Like, I don't think they're going to be interested in Randall Gritchick. I know people would love to see the reunion. I don't really see a point in that. They're not going to be interested in Hunter Renfro, I wouldn't think. The relievers, anything's possible because they've been picking up guys off the scrap heap for half the summer at this point. So it's certainly a there's potential that they would would go for Matt Moore or Reynaldo Lopez. But again, they're free agents to be, so it wouldn't be anything other than kind of a trial basis deal to just get a look at a guy and be like, oh, maybe we want to sign this guy in the offseason. I can actually see that making almost more sense than the starting pitching situation with Giolito because I wonder, would you just piss a guy off? And it's like, and, and Jeff Jones, I, th- I saw, was the first person that kind of tweeted this thought out, and I was looking at it like, yeah, that's, that is what would happen. 
If you're Giolito, it's like, if I'm claimed by a playoff team, I'm in the playoffs now. That's awesome. Thank you for rescuing me. He gets to enjoy that. If the Cardinals claim him, and he knows if the losing teams had just not done anything to to pick me up, I'd be on a playoff team. Yeah, you're probably upset by that. So could he potentially burn a bridge? Like, the, could the Cardinals burn a bridge with Giolito by actually picking him up? I don't know. I, I don't think the Cardinals are going to be too hot to trot for Giolito if they don't have some experience with him down the stretch. So it's not like it's not like I think, oh, they're really in on Giolito and they're going to sign him. But now if they pick him up too soon, he won't want to play here. Like, I don't know if that's necessarily the thing. They could have some interest in him. He's been inconsistent. I would say if he's a guy that you're signing to a multi-year contract in the offseason, he better be like the number four that you're signing to be ahead of Steven Matz as your number five and Michaelis as your number three. Like, there better be two more additions better than Giolito. And you might say, well, I don't know if that's realistic, Brennan. Giolito's a pretty big name. Sure, he's got a big name. He's got a cachet. He's got a reputation as a big league pitcher for a long, long time. But what does any of that matter? Is he going to get you enough outs to be a top end of your rotation guy? I don't really know. And the Cardinals need to know for sure when they go out and make these moves in the offseason because otherwise you're just kind of reduxing exactly what you've just done. And that hasn't worked. <laughs> That's been the entire issue. So they got to be pretty sure with the guys that they go out and get. And Giolito hasn't pitched great this year, so I don't know if he's getting that $100 million contract. Maybe he will. I don't know. He's young enough. But maybe it's more of like a four-year... I don't even like to throw out numbers, but $65 million, $70 million, I have no idea. But maybe that's a, a factor. Would you piss him off if you sign him? Or I should say if you claim him on waivers. Do these these players by the Angels that got put on waivers today, are they all hoping, don't claim me unless you're above 500, and then I'm happy to go there? Because who wouldn't want to play in the playoffs? Shoot, Casey Lawrence, I know, probably wants to play in the playoffs, man. He's like, if I had known that was a thing, I would have gone to the Angels and I would have gotten put on waivers today. I love it. Casey Lawrence doing a nice job for the Cardinals. I'm curious to see the way this is going to play out. I think a lot of teams are going to claim the guys, especially the pitchers, and uh, you know maybe even Renfro and Gritchick as well. I don't claim to know all the ins and outs of the guys' numbers this year and how they performed. I, ju- I did look up Matt Moore, so he had a two-point-whatever ERA. That's pretty good. But it's going to be interesting to see the way that plays out. Do you, Cardinals fans, want to see them claim Lucas Giolito knowing the way that I've kind of laid it out of, hey, are you potentially risking upsetting the guy who otherwise could have had an opportunity to pitch in the playoffs, and now by getting him into your organization to have a a little bit of a a, a free month trial, so to speak, do you uh, do you potentially risk the relationship being able to extend in the off season? Not one hundred percent on that, but let me know what you think, what your impression of it is, and of course, while we're talking about guys who were placed on waivers on Tuesday, we do have to pour one out for our boy Harrison Bader, who was placed on waivers by the Yankees. And Bader's kind of been, you know, Badering this year. He's got an OPS below 700. I haven't seen him play defense, so I don't really know what that's been. I haven't looked at the the metrics. But, you know, I assume probably solid defensive center fielder, but also not exactly a lot going on at the plate. Kind of like the ebbs and flows went with his game when he was in St. Louis. But the Yankees waving Harrison Bader is interesting to me. I know the Yankees have been kind of down bad in terms of the standings. I think they're in last place in their division They've dropped to four games below 500. Going to take a quick peek at the American League standings. Is there any way they could fight and claw their way back into a playoff spot? Their roster is not really that good this year, 
and they've had Aaron Judge injured a lot this year. He's back now, but just, you know, I, I don't think they're going to be, there's really no way to get back in for them. Uh, the, the AL playoffs has quietly kind of been sewn up already. Rangers and Astros and Mariners, all with 75 or more wins in the American League West. That is now a three-team race. The Rays and Orioles separated by two and a half games, but Tampa's still got 81 wins, so they're well within range for uh, for that wild card. The Blue Jays really the only other team, I guess, from a shouting distance. The Red Sox are there too, but Boston's about seven-ish games behind uh, what anybody in the American League West would be to give up their wild card spot. And Tampa Bay is kind of the the team to beat in terms of the the top wild card in the AL. The Blue Jays with maybe an outside shot, they're about three four games out. But other than that, like it's been pretty much wrapped up with the recent run of the Mariners. Like it's kind of crazy to think about their season turning around the way that it has. We talked a lot about, hey, would they trade some pitching to the Cardinals if they need hitting? And Jerry Depoto was out there saying, oh, we need a lot more than Babe Ruth just to fix this team. Or <laughs> I think it was they were asked, you know, would you get Shohei Otani and or, or something like that? And he said, look, we could add Babe Ruth to this team, and it wouldn't necessarily make the difference. So interesting to see the Mariners have fully turned things around, and they're looking like the exciting fun-loving team that they were last postseason. They've won 9 of 10, and they're currently a half game up in the AL West. So we'll see the way that shakes out. But, yeah, that's what has led to the Angels and I believe the Yankees today also with what they did to Harrison Bader, just going, eh, if anybody wants to pay this guy, save a few bucks. (laughs) Like, it's so interesting that these big market teams are the ones to make these moves when, like, typically that would have been, back in the day, an August waiver trade where you could put the guys on trade waivers and actually have a deal done before the August 31st deadline, and that's, like, not a thing anymore. There's a one true deadline on August 1st was the day this year, and so these guys are basically just, hey, if anybody wants them, all you got to do is pay them, you can take them. It's like the equivalent of putting out an old refrigerator or couch near the the street in front of your driveway and just saying, ah, if somebody picks it up, you just got to haul it off, and it's yours. (laughs) Kind of bizarre that we've seen this in Major League Baseball, but what do you think about that? Where do you think Harrison Bader should go? No, I don't necessarily expect the Cardinals to claim him, but it would be kind of fun. But the other aspect of that is Lucas Giolito. Could that make sense, or would the Cardinals, by claiming him, risk a potentially future relationship with the veteran starting pitcher? Guy who was the high school teammate of Jack Flaherty. If Flaherty were still here, I think it would be a fascinating storyline to just, like, hey, you might get more out of Flaherty. You might get more out of Giolito. You just, like, let's make that happen. But now that Flaherty's gone, I think it's not quite as interesting. But let me know. A lot of Cardinals fans said, hey, no, I want to see it. Don't be cheap to it. Go get him. I don't know. I don't know if the, if you're playing the long game, if that's necessarily something that makes sense or not. But let me know what you think in the YouTube comment section below. Make sure to slam the subscribe button on the channel if you enjoy daily Cardinals content. We'll be talking more about these sorts of things in the offseason in particular. But if you missed the very beginning of this episode on YouTube, make sure to go find the discussion of the Cardinals win from Tuesday night. If you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, well, you've heard the whole podcast. Thanks for being with me. That's going to do it, though, for this edition of the show. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on Be Shave Daily. Peace.